Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm, I'm, thank you for allowing me a couple extra minutes to hit the restroom. It was, uh, I think it's best for everyone. Uh, oh, it's best for everyone that you do that. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think it was best for everybody that I did that. Um, I, uh, so, so on Saturday, um, it's Wednesday, by, by the way, for the folks that are, that are listening on Saturday, uh, I guess four, four or five days ago, I ran in a, um, uh, eight, a five mile, uh, race here in Raleigh called the, uh, um, Krispy Kreme challenge, uh, which is a, uh, two and a half mile run. And then you run from, uh, uh, NC state campus down to a Krispy Kreme donut outlet eat a dozen donuts turn around and run back two and a half miles and, and try not to puke up those donuts right no and don't puke up the donuts and i, I didn't puke up the donuts but since then i've had um uh i would say uh in, I, some some inconsistencies in my uh in my bathroom situation um so that this was... would you would you care to elaborate no no i think that's it. I think I think that's, think, uh, think that's the right enough. decision. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I would just say that uh, I have uh, I've since since that race I have dealt with um, uh, uh, some uh, an unexpected turn of events uh, a few times. So that was that was one of them. So I'm not sure if uh, uh, what's happened, but the 2,400 calories of sugar and fat um, in in less than nine minutes uh, uh, seems to have affected my system uh, still. So uh, anyway, I <laughs> it was. <laughs> It's good. It's good. Everything's good. So <laughs> glad to hear it. You know, I think uh, I think they could they could have something called the Krispy Krispy Kreme Challenge, where uh, Krispy Kreme just sponsored the event. <laughs> That's <not laughs> and without the eating of the donuts. Um, but anyway, hardly a challenge. H- hardly, hardly, hardly a challenge. And um, I I want to mention the the challenge is to do it in under an hour, and I did it in. One hour, 25 seconds. Oh, so close. A failure. So close. Well, no, Ben, now. Come on. Now you're too hard on yourself. It's true. It's true. But it was, I, I was, I was a little disappointed. Last year I did it in one hour and three minutes. So at least I've shaved a couple of minutes off my time. Yeah. Yeah, if but, you keep uh, going yeah. at this rate, uh, you'll you'll break an hour next year. By the time I'm I'm sixty, I'm, I'll just do a a quick calculation. By the time I'm sixty, I'll do it in less time than it. Uh, I'll go back in time. I can keep <laughs> this uh, can keep this up. <laughs> yes, because we know that that uh, linear extrapolation uh, always works. <laughs> always, it's perfect. It's, there's yeah. Um, well, as long as we can draw a line through it, Don, the line continues. That's what I do. <laughs> Ah, so what's going on? What's uh, what's new in the world of, of food safety? Well, you know, actually, more more than the world of food safety, the world of podcasting. I have finally decided that my my cheap ass, uh, and I think I said this probably twenty episodes ago. I finally, once again, made the decision that I am going to get an actual real podcasting microphone. Um, the the problem is, and and I now that I've noticed it. Well, so there's, there's, there's two things. One, the, the, the Plantronics headset that I'm using, um, it seems to pick up 
uh, when I'm done talking and I take a little in breath, I can hear that. And now I've started hearing when I like flex my jaw muscles or wiggle my, <laughs> wiggle my hairline or smile, I hear a creak in the headphones. I don't know if the headphones have always done this or now I've just started hearing it. Uh, but I was recording some stuff, um, uh, the other day, uh, just recording some stuff and, uh, I noticed it and it's just, it's driving me nuts. So I think, uh, I think I'm just gonna, uh, you know, uh, just go, go break down and, and buy a real, uh, a real podcasting setup. Uh, I, I've been wanting to do it for a little while now. And, uh, just with the, the holidays and cash flow, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't prudent to go spend a couple hundred bucks on a, on a microphone that I didn't really need. So, but now, but now the cash flow is better and I think I can go buy a, buy a toy for myself. So uh, you have the, you have the road pos- road podcaster. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. The road podcaster. And, um, and then I've got a pair of, uh, Sony, uh, monitor headphones that I use with it, but I really like the mod, the, the, uh, road podcaster. Um, and, and then I, I have a, a, like I'm a mic boom for it as well. Cause we have a, I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast. We have a train that goes by my building. Um, Oh, uh, yeah. Not not like Michelle Danilek's trains, <laughs> but a train that, that it, I, I don't hear it all that often, but it shakes our building. Mm. Um, and so the mic bounces, or mic would have bounced, but I've got this. Uh, it doesn't bounce now with the little thing. Right. And I think, uh, and I'm looking at uh, Dan Benjamin's uh, Hive Logic uh, podcasting guide right now, and he says uh, with any of these mics, you, you need, uh, you need uh, some sort of a mic- microphone stand. Now, the headphones that you have, are those the same uh, that um, – uh, the same that Dan recommends uh, on, somewhere on his list, or are those are they different? Oh, the Sony, the Sony, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Sony, yeah, the Sony. I don't know what the PS something. It's not uh, actually on them. M M M D R seventy five oh six professional large diaphragm headphones. That sounds like it. Yes, I think I went with whatever his recommendation was. Yeah, and yeah. they're nice. I actually used those um, in my well. I, I listen to a lot of music with them on. Mm. They're very comfortable. Mm-hmm. They're, it's got really, really good sound. They're really comfortable. And I, I mean, I don't wear them at Starbucks, but I wear them when I'm in my office or if I'm on a really long flight because it's got a little bit of like it's not noise canceling, but it cushions. It's it's got it's nice. They're nice. Hmm. So I, so it has some dual dual duty. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to go ahead and, and get that because this is just it's really uh, it's really starting to to bug me. So anyway, so that's that's what's new for me. Well, could you just stop um, all the things that you're doing, like uh, flexing your jaw muscles and wrinkling your hairline and all those things, and that, no, just don't do that. Yes, I I could I could man I could also talk without moving my mouth very much, and I'm sure. It would uh, it would increase listenership. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, we've got a guest on, uh, uh, Mister Mr. Jaw. This is good. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, so it's anyway, like radio in the forties. <laughs> So I heard. So I heard. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, yeah. So um, so we should uh, we should do some uh, we should do some follow up. Yes. Um, I see. I see you. You made a note in the uh, in the file about uh, logging on to Amazon S three. Yeah. Was that so, a, an issue for you? No. No. The, okay. the question that I had was, um, yeah, you know, as always, we're interested in listenership and, and stuff like that. And I was oh. thinking about the only metrics that we that we have right now are the um, ratings in the iTunes store. And so I was trying to figure out 
how we would track how many people have downloaded the podcast. So I went to iTunes and they've got a you know frequently asked question. They say, well, we don't track that because we're just the the shoot that yeah. people are downloading from. You already have that kind of information. So my question is, do you have you? Um, I couldn't fi- I couldn't find it. Um, have we ever turned on the logging? Do you know how many downloads we have by any chance? That's a good question. I can look at that. The one thing that I, and it's funny that you were thinking about this because I was thinking about the same thing. And there actually is we one of the things that we that we are already tracking is people that come in and access uh, the website. So foodsafetytalk.com, If you go to um, uh, the uh, Squarespace site, and you go in as an editor, um, you can you can look at statistics. So that that does that does give us some sense of statistics in terms of people that are coming to that site, right? Um, but I have not looked at uh, what's going on in terms of S three. Now Amazon must be tracking that because they send me a a, a very small bill every month. Uh, <laughs> which, on, on the one hand, oh. I'm glad that it's not very much money. On the other hand, if if we had more listeners, the bill would be higher. And and uh, we could get we could get sponsors, but um, uh, yeah. So uh, so tell all your friends, um, but uh, to listen. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll investigate that. Yeah, take a look because I'd be um, I, it'd be interesting to know when how many downloads we have. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, if you if you go in and look on the um, the Squarespace site, foodsafetytalk.com, um, there there are some statistics in terms of site traffic, uh, but yeah, because. Um, because they, if somebody is subscribed in iTunes, I don't think, I don't know if that, if that ever would send any traffic back to food safety talk. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good question. Yeah. I will, I will definitely follow up on that. Cool. Um, Thanks. Sure. And, uh, actually two, so two, two other pieces of follow-up that I have listed in the, well, so I guess one piece of follow-up is that, um, you know, for the, the real Uber nerds in the audience is that we, I've convinced you to buy a, a piece of software to help us look at the text file <laughs> that we use, yes. that we use to, uh, uh, to, to manage, uh, our, our, sh- not, not show notes, but our, 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 our pre-show notes. Um, so there's a very cool app. Uh, if you're a, a text nerd on the Mac, there's a very cool app called folding text, uh, which basically lets, lets you edit text files using markdown. Um, and if all of this means nothing to you, then um, you're you're not a text nerd on the Mac, but um, uh, it, it's a very cool app, and it does allow you to edit these very small, very lightweight text files in a way that's uh, much better than just the native text editing apps on the Mac. So, so thank you for for shelling out for that. It's a it's a very cool app, and I think it'll help us kind of try to be a little bit more, more organized because we have this giant text file that you and I both sort of dump stuff into, and um, it's it's gotten a little bit unwieldy as we have amassed more things to talk about than we have time to talk about cool well we'll have to talk a little bit in after dark about how i should use uh fold folding folding text, text. Fold. yes I, I almost called it fold down text like you know when when my parents refer to facebook as the face plate or the face, <laughs> the face uh, yes <laughs> exactly exactly um yeah so i guess uh, let's take the second piece of follow-up first because sure. I've, I've already added to it so my homework has been to watch uh the uh, canadian um show uh, a comedy show called the newsroom and it's so i i absolutely fell in love with this in in, in like <laughs> literally i texted you the first 20 seconds of s1e1 where it cuts to the newsroom and they're talking about a train derailment and 
in 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 Africa, I guess. And think, lots of bad things in this show seem to happen in Africa, which they're you know they're always covering because there's lots of gore and and death and 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 it's and they're just like uh, anyway, it's just it's just hilarious how I mean it really it's very it's a, it's a comedy, but it is a very dark dark yes. comedy. I mean, these are for the most part. <clears throat> These are very unlikable characters. Um, uh, except, don't, don't judge. Don't judge. Oh, I'll judge. They're they're all pretty despicable. With the with the lovely <laughs> with the lovely exception of Audrey, Audrey. who is like. Uh, she's just a, a just a, a sweet, sweet girl. She is the you know. I've heard people talk about it. It reminds me very much of the British version of The Office. Mm. Um, and people talk about that show uh, and the, 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 the male – and I forget – again, it's been a while since I've seen it. But the male and female um, characters in that show that are sort of had this on-again, off-again relationship, they were the only two rational, sane people in the office, right? So Audrey, Audrey is kind of like the normal person that works in this, this, this environment. And so she's kind of like the, 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 you know, the eye-rolling voice of like rationality and common sense. So anyway, so she's – as played by the the actress uh, Tanya Allen, who I had never heard of, but I would definitely be on the lookout for more stuff with her. She's just delightful. Um, so, my first observation, and I, maybe this, I, I haven't, you know, been maybe been to Canada enough, but the people in that show, especially especially maybe in in episode two, they seem to wear a lot of plaid. Is that is that a thing in Canada? Well, um, so so Don, it's also uh, important to note here when this this uh, came out. This the season one of the newsroom came out in 1996. So I think there was probably a lot of plaid everywhere. In oh, because America because it was the grunge uh, the grunge exactly. time. Yeah. Okay. And the tail end of grunge. And uh, but but um, to your to your point, I think yes, there is still a lot of plaid in Canada. <laughs> It's the grunge era has never quite quite left. <laughs> okay, and I want to just and I started. I, I didn't write any great lines down from episode one, but I did write a couple from episode two and episode three. So the first one was was uh, they're talking about uh, getting a, a co anchor and and the, the quote, and I think this is from George, who is the who's the news director. Blonde doesn't intimidate. <laughs> <laughs> so now you know. Now you know the real reason why I wanted to do a podcast with you. <laughs> I'm the cuddly one, as, as Doug always calls me. Oh, so true. And, uh, yeah. Uh, there, there's a scene where uh, George, who's the despicable news director, who gives the Jim the anchor uh, two dem two Demerol and a Valium because Jim's getting worked up about something, and George says, "Don't drive." You can do the news, but don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then there's another another little exchange. We have this story of the two Canadian golfers hit by lightning in Florida. Did they die? Yes, they died. Good, done. That's our lead. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's really it's it's that they're so macabre. I mean, in, in terms of like. Uh, you know, it's just like, oh well, okay. If somebody died, then there's, there's, a, there was. A, I was just, and and so just as again to prep for this show, um, I was watching episode four, and there's a, a wonderful scene where where one of the guys, I think it's, uh, um, uh, uh, Jim. Is he? Yeah, I think it's Jim. Uh, is on the phone with somebody, and he's like, well. Did anybody die? Well, uh, no. Well, all right. So call me back if somebody dies. We can, we can still make the six o'clock news if somebody dies. So anyway, 
Uh, yes, it's good. Have you? Um, I can't remember. Um, when the muffins come oh, in? But have, um, have you... Well, the muffins, yeah. So, so George, who's the news director, has this thing about that he's constantly – it's like every episode there's an interaction with him and Audrey yep. about bran muffins. And he has to have bran muffins, and there's never bran muffins. And, and Audrey brings him muffins, which she says are bran muffins, which aren't bran muffins. She brings <laughs> him one in episode four where it's – oh, it, see, it's a bran muffin. He's like, what's this on the top? Well, that's a slice of apple. So he's like, okay, well, it's not really a bran muffin then. It's right. It's an apple brand muffin <laughs> well there's a great exchange at some point where where and i can't remember if if, if you know when it is but something about um that's a cranberry muffin um and he's always got cranberries down there why don't you go go down earlier and sometimes when there's apple in it that's not really apple anyway and this this whole muffin industry is a sham you know it's it's not it's apple flavoring and and turnip and this muffin industry in canada is a sham <laughs> So, so it's uh, it's kind of it's it's it actually is a segue into something that I don't think we have in a text file, but there's this whole uh, situation going on in the UK right now with uh, horse meat uh, uh, being oh. uh, integrated as uh, as beef. Yeah, I've been reading. I've been reading about that on uh, bites and bar blogs. Maybe we should come back and, and talk about yeah. that. Um, one one last bit of follow up though before we get into the show is I, I do want to talk about. Um, we talked about on the last show. We talked about uh, no illness language. Uh, the quote no illness language in recalls. And um, I, I asked uh, my colleague Bill Hallman, uh, risk communication researcher at Rutgers. Uh, I said. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, does the, does the no illness language belong in recall notices? Um, and Bill replied, he said a couple of thoughts. First, this is probably only relevant to recalls involving pathogens. So it's likely only an issue for class one and not class two and three. So I think he's right there. He says, uh, the real issue <clears throat> in his mind is how consumers interpret that language. Um, it may suggest that the problem that led to the recall is not serious, uh, which is which is p- potentially untrue. It may also suggest that because there haven't been any illnesses, there won't be any in the future. And we've seen at least one example of a recent recall where that wasn't the case. There was there were no illnesses at first, and then turned out that there were. Um, it would also imply that paying attention is not necessary. Um, and, um, so, and then this, the no, he also says this is compounded by the no illness language being accompanied by other qualifying language, such as the XYZ company is issuing a voluntary recall. Um, or as he says, his favorite out of an abundance of caution, the company is issuing a voluntary recall. Well, you know, either the problem as, as Bill says here, either the problem is serious enough to warrant a recall and for people to pay attention or it isn't. And so what Bill Bill says he objects to is companies who issue a recall notice kind of in a CYA manner, um, which which kind of implies then to consumers that they don't need to take it seriously. Um, and and then and, and just one more uh, corollary. Uh, he again, this is still Bill, uh, me quoting from from Bill's response. Um, the news media rarely covers all recalls, and uh, when they do, they don't simply print uh, a press release. So the empirical question that's interesting to him as a researcher is whether recalls involving no illnesses actually get any press coverage. And if they do, whether no illnesses actually makes it into a news, whether the no illness statement actually makes it into a news story. Now, one of the things that we have as a follow-up 
um, uh, or as as a as a, st- a story to potentially talk about uh, this week is a kind of follow up from the listeria in apples sliced apples recall, which was a a, rec- a no illness recall that did get a fair bit of uh, news play because it was these were sliced apples that were distributed in uh, well known fast food restaurants, and I think that, that at least it you know reached to the level of uh, coverage in, in Barf Blog and, and Bites. Now whether how much it hit the press, I don't know. So so that might be something worth coming back to later on in the episode. Um, and just, uh, you know, in the, the world of <clears throat> the serendipitous world of food safety, I just wanted to add that I actually uh, got, uh, got to hang out with Bill on Monday night and, and have a, a couple of drinks together because uh, we ran into each other in the Union Station uh, train station in Washington, D.C. We were actually there for separate meetings. I was there for an FDA or uh, an IFT <clears throat> um, uh, panel meeting, and he was there to go out to Silver Springs to, to uh, an FDA meeting uh, uh, for their risk communication group to talk about, believe it or not, recall fatigue. Which is the idea that you know if you just if if you're constantly barraging consumers with information about recalls, do they eventually just start to tune it out? So um, anyway, so real real interesting uh, little bit of follow up, uh, real uh, real time, uh, almost real time follow up there. So cool. Well, and and on that, um, I mean, a, a, a Bill kind of eloquently um, puts into uh, into text what, what we talked about in, in the last. Um, uh, episode around this, and I think that he he brings up some, um, so, you know, some really really key points in here, which is um, whether anybody pays attention. I mean, that's the I, th- I think that's the the crux, and, and uh, you know, I'm really glad that this is something that sort of uh, keyed his interest from a from a research question on media. And as um, as I was looking uh, to to get ready for today's uh, recording, um, I had my Twitter feed open and and. Uh, um, I follow the uh, Georgia Department of Agriculture's Twitter feed for for whatever reason, and um, they retweeted something from um, the Atlanta Journal Constitution um, uh, you know, newspaper. Just this really quick tweet that said, um, "If you bought crab dip at Costco, you should consider not eating it." And I was like, "Oh, okay. I imagine that has something to do with the recall." So I go to the um, you know click on the link, and it just just as Bill said. Um, you know, it's, this isn't just a reprint of, of the press release that, that came out, um, uh, I guess, earlier this week about uh, this crab dip that had been recalled from Listeria. Um, the the tagline, which which is, you know, grabs more attention here than, um, you know, than there aren't illnesses, says a food company is recalling a crab dip and warning that it may cause diarrhea. That you know that that's not that's definitely not in that press release, um, in you know in in that kind of context. But that's that's how this is a coverage. This is a um, a, a recall uh, for Gold Coast brand crab dip, um, sold at Costco, and uh, Costco sent letters and emails to customers that that purchased it that they could track during their through their. Um, their membership list um, and matching up with purchases, but I just thought it was like there, there you go. There's there's a way. So in, you know, instead of saying things like, "Well, there aren't any illnesses," well, some people that might cause diarrhea right off the top is may, may cause people to pay more attention. So it's it, it's kind of worth. It's interesting that um, that the bills look you know uh, working with uh, with FDA on on stuff like recall fatigue and it, I, you know that's that's something that interests me a lot. My my first reaction to the may cause diarrhea though is like, well, what am I supposed to do about that? I mean, I guess it's like, yeah, it's contaminated with listeria, a bacteria that may cause di- diarrhea. 
or it may cause pregnant women to abort their fetuses. fetuses. And if you're an elderly person, it can cause septicemia and death, right? Yeah. I mean, let's not let's not sugarcoat it. I mean, yeah, listeria causes diarrhea in for healthy people, but it's life threatening if you're not healthy. I mean, it's uh, on on the other on the one hand, yes, it gets attention. On the other hand, it 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 soft pedals it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, no. I, you're right. You're right. I, yeah. I see. Uh, I see exactly what you're saying. Um, is uh, it? Yeah. On the other hand, as I've said before on the podcast, and I will continue to say, I, I really think in this country we ought to have uh, we ought to have a, a standard for listeria that's not a zero tolerance standard, because especially in products that don't support the growth. Now, crab dip. Uh, I would be really interested to know. I suspect crab dip is a product that would support the growth of listeria if it was there. Apple slices, I'm not so sure that, that they mm-hmm. would, su- especially uh, preservative-treated apple slices, I'm not sure that they would support the growth of listeria. So to me, that's a very, very bright line. Um, but that's also a point that I realize is hopelessly subtle uh, for the general public to, to get a handle on. But, but, but food safety experts, well, some food safety experts don't understand the dose-response curve. I, sorry, I'm sounding like a broken record here. Some experts don't understand the dose-response curve, but fundamentally, I believe it's it's really important to um, to this whole issue of, of food safety and how we manage risk. Yeah, no, totally, and I I think you're, um, yeah, I think you're bang on here. I think that it, I, I guess the you know the the point um, that I like here is that we're that that we're looking at how should we communicate recall risk information and um, anything that's going to um, change that process or address any of the deficiencies that are in it that's a good thing uh, but you're yeah no you're you're you're, brand, you're you're you know dr Schaffner you're a smart guy sometimes sometimes I'm not intimidated by you friend of course I'm <laughs> and cuddly yeah, and cuddly. Uh, cool. Good. All right. So, that, um, so that's it cool. for that's it for follow up. Yeah, that's all we got for follow up. We got a lot of stuff uh, that we can talk about here um, in the uh, in the notes. Where do you want to start? Um, do you have a place that you'd like to start? No, not really. I'm pretty. I'm pretty open. Okay. Um, uh, well, you know, we're just talking about listeria. Uh, let's let's talk about this. Uh, the first thing up in in you know chronological order. So this was the oldest oldest thing that that occurred to me that I put in the notes is uh, this is an article from the Packer, uh, which I probably found out about from Bites or, or Barf Blog, and it's basically a follow up on the. Um, Outbreak or not? Sorry, not outbreak. See again. I, even even people that know what they're talking about get confused. Um, this is a uh, a follow up to the apple slices listeria in apple slices issue. And so I'll read I'll read from um, the news article in the Packer, which we'll link to in show notes. It says a warning letter from the Food and Drug Administration made public on February 5th indicates that the agency is still concerned about listeria contamination found in July at a fresh cut facility that supplied apple slices to McDonald's and Burger King restaurants. The warning letter to Missa Bay LLC dated December 10th gave company officials 15 days to respond. Now, I'm also kind of interested in this because Missa Bay is a New Jersey company, so they're located 
located in South Jersey, down in uh, Sweetsboro, and uh, I am I'm familiar with the company. I, I don't think I've ever visited, but but certainly the name does come up, and they they are well known in, in New Jersey circles as a food processing company. So um, in uh, in August 2012, uh, Ready Pack, which was the the the, the I, uh, Missabay's parent company, uh, ReadyPak and Missabay recalled almost 300,000 cases and another almost 300,000 cases of individual individual packages of fresh cut fruit, vegetable and sandwich products because of possible listeria contamination. Um, and basically the December uh, warning letter from FDA says that the finished product samples plus 27 environmental samples taken during the investigation were positive. Um, there were samples that were from food contact surfaces, the uh, non-browning solution, so the preservative solution that was used on slices and non-food contact surfaces were all positive for listeria. So now on the one hand, uh, I can say that, yes, we should have a tolerance for listeria and, and a little bit of listeria won't hurt you. Reading this article in the Packer, and I haven't clicked through to look at the FDA warning letter, but but I suspect the details are here in this Packer article. Reading the details in the Packer article, to me, sounds like there's a lot of listeria in this plant. <laughs> yeah, and, and all over the place. I, when, I, when I looked through this, did it surprise you a little bit that the non-browning solution was positive? I mean... Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that would... Okay, uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Because... And, and I mean, if if you're looking at you know potential sources here, I, w- I wonder how. I mean, I, I, you know, neither of us have been there. We weren't weren't there, and it's not. I did look through at the the warning um, letter itself, and it, it yeah you know, doesn't have anything much more than than what's in here. Um, I wondered whether it was the container for the non-browning solution. You know, like I don't know what what that looked like how you know if it was open or, or whatever it would it surprises me that the solution itself would would be positive without it being you know something like introduced uh throughout the the system and you know who, who knows uh uh where it comes from but that that was the one that stuck out and i was like whoa okay um that's that's kind of that's kind of a, a a crazy um situation yeah, and I know, I mean, meat companies who are regulated by USDA get even a little bit antsy if they find listeria. What I wonder is, you know, this is an FDA-regulated company, and maybe maybe they thought that they really weren't that high risk. Maybe they didn't have a listeria. I mean, I would be very interested to know what the nature of their listeria control program is. If was, if anything, because mm-hmm. gosh, I got to think I'm in charge of a, a company and I, I'm going to be wanting to look at total, total bacterial counts in that solution. I am going to be wanting to check, check that solution for pathogens. I mean, it just, it just, I mean, again, it's easy for us to armchair quarterback this thing. That's a, that's a sports analogy, Ben. Oh, um, so, it's uh, I think you're talking about soccer. soccer yeah. yeah. <laughs> Australian rules. Soccer. Yeah, um, um, but, uh, but, but yeah, but I, um, you know, it just, it just seems like, uh, somebody was, seems like somebody was asleep at the switch. I mean, but again, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to not be too critical cause these are guys from a New Jersey company. I'm sure they don't listen to the podcast, but, um, and it is my job theoretically to help them. Not, not theoretically. It is my job to help them. And I'm sure if they called me, I would be glad to help them. So I don't want to bash them too much, but boy, it, it this, 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 this doesn't sound good. No. Um, so beyond the, the you know, let's talk about um, 
the I, I guess the process of this a little more not not so much the the contents of this letter but this is i mean we we've seen warning letters you know i've followed this uh, a little bit we see we see i think we're seeing more coverage of warning letters since probably um the jensen farms cantaloupe um uh outbreak like in, i i i don't remember seeing so many warning letters being published by fda and, and as if I was a retailer, if I was a buyer, you know, food service, uh, retail food service person, um, this is this is information that goes into into my, you know, um, supplier decision tree. To me, it's like okay, um, I, I want to be you know, if I if I've got someone who's a new supplier, I like the fact that I can now go on and see this sort of historical warning letters. I, I know, you know, they, they haven't been associated with an outbreak, but FDA's, you know, they've had a recall and FDA has gone out there and have done some sort of regulatory uh, inspection here. And, and they found some, you know, some, some problems. I want to know that if I'm a potential buyer. And so I, I guess I like, I really like that this is all kind of in the open. And, and I think it, um, I mean, I'll, it you know, it's, it goes back to a lot of stuff that that I sound like a broken record on 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 information sharing. This is this is one spot where, man, um, you know, the, we we don't we we don't often see this stuff, or we we didn't often see this stuff, and now we're seeing the Packer pick this up. I mean, the Trade Magazine uh, is interested in in it's not so much name and shame, but it, it it's about um, you know. Uh, sharing information uh, uh, about a you know specific uh, uh, situation, and I think I, I hope that this makes others um, pay attention because no one wants to be in this uh, sort of warning letter uh, situation. Yeah, I I love the idea that these warning letters are public. Uh, certainly, it's informative to people that might buy this product. Uh, you know, companies that might buy this product. I think it's also incredibly informative to other companies. I mean. FDA it takes a great deal of care in writing these letters, um, and and it shows, and you can look at it, and um, it, there's just there's good information in here that if you were an Apple processor that wasn't Missabay, boy, you ought to be reading this. You know, if you were any kind of vegetable fresh pack vegetable processor, you ought to be reading this letter and, and kind of saying, well, okay, does this apply to me and what should I be doing in, you know, into my operation? What can I learn from this letter to modify what I'm doing to make sure that the next time this happens, it's not me. And, and, and again, I, I want to say props to the, the packer. I mean, they are an industry magazine, uh, as they say in their tagline, covering the fresh produce industry since 1893. Um, a lot of the time, my, I, I get the, the sense that, that especially the trades that cover the industry are kind of apologetic mm-hmm. um, for the industry, and, and these guys are saying they're not. I mean, they're, they're, you know, F, the headline is FDA has not, hasn't closed the books on the Missabay Listeria incident. So good, good for them for getting, getting out there on this food safety issue and, and publicizing this. I think, you know, people in the fresh produce industry need to pay attention to this and, and need to get on board and, uh, you know, need to, to correct these kinds of problems. So uh, good, good for the packer for, for covering it. Well, and and also in here, I mean, I think you're spot on with uh, some of the the best practices to be, you know, sort of subtly pull this out to say, hey, do I know what, you know, if, if we were to have a problem, 
FDA is going to come in and start looking at things, do we know whether we've got LM in our ascorbic acid dip solution? Um, but also, it, it's kind of there, there's a piece in here on this letter um, in the I don't know fifth paragraph from the from the bottom that says it kind of gives it a, a, a tip on how to answer FDA when they do have warning letters. So, you know, it says, says in here, we received a written response dated September 5th, 2012, indicating you'll develop um, and implement a listeria control monitoring program by September 8th. Great. However, you've not provided any further details to this program or supporting documentation. And so, you know, I don't know if, if I was a if I was Miss Bay or some other company that was going through this process, whether it would have been clear to me that, okay, well, I told them what my plan would be in my, my response to the, um, you know, to the form. Um, but, uh, you know, do I need to provide any more, you know, supporting documentation or any more information? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, it kind of spells it out in here that that's, that's what the expectation is. Um, and this is, this is a good thing. This is a, this is, um, this is a good use of resources, uh, and you know, in, in my mind. So it's uh, it, 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 yeah. Uh, it, this the good the the good companies out there that are are really concerned are going to keep paying attention to every time a warning letter is listed and it's it's funny that i kind of this is a bit analogous to um you know danny when when we were back in canada she was a teacher um and uh and, or you know she taught high school and as part of her um I guess the 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 teachers union or no the teachers federation I guess it was the the union they published a you know information um, newsletter once a month or something and had you know stories about what was going on with with uh, with teachers but in the back were something called the blue pages and the blue pages were all the um, I mean offenses of teachers you know someone who had um, you know hit a kid and had 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 a grievance filed uh, uh, against them or you know whatever but it was kind of like this everyone really paid attention to that <laughs> you know the the policies were out there but the specifics were like oh man I guess I guess we really can't hit kids because we're gonna get in trouble you know not not to that that point but it was you know, I, I remember the, um, sitting around with a bunch of teachers because it seems like all my uh, all, all of our friends were were teachers, and and that that blue pages became a, um, a discussion. And, and so I hope that these warning letters aren't just sort of. I hope I hope they make a uh, an impact on on other businesses. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the analogy. <clears throat> to to teachers or or even you know wh- one of the things i used to love in our weekly local newspaper although they've kind of stopped doing it is what they a section that they would call police beat which mm-hmm. is basically who got arrested for what i mean in a way it's kind of a little bit of a uh, kind of voyeuristic like ooh who's who got arrested for drunk driving or who got in trouble but on the other hand it's a good way to kind of keep up with what's going on in in a town or in a region um and, and i think it's uh, i think it's useful so yeah. So, so uh, what should we should we keep talking about listeria? Uh, we could. We could or keep talking. You, yeah. Do you have something else you want to do? Um, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about this uh, Chicago Tribune. Um, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Article that you're, you're sure. Uh, that, and I don't know if they did. Uh, I'm not sure. So anyway, let me. I'll, I'll read about this. Um, this was something from, um, I guess, earlier uh, – it was on the weekend uh, this appeared, and it was an article in the Chicago Tribune uh, talking about um, whether soaps with uh, triclosan do more harm than good. And, and you were quoted in it. Now, I'm not sure if you – did they talk to you, or was this something um, – that they pulled out of the uh, out of a paper that uh, that you had published because they uh, the, the the article talks about um, 
Uh, for example, one review published in 2011 found that the antimicrobial soap had a small advantage over regular soap in terms of microbes left on the skin. The benefit was strongest when hands carried higher bacterial loads. The author, Rutgers, our, our very own Food Safety Talk um, uh, of Food Safety Talk uh, uh, podcast, Rutgers University Food Science Pro- Professor Donald Schaffner said examples would include instances when a person's hands were contaminated with vomit or feces or if they had been handling ground beef or raw chicken. Um, Schaffner acknowledged that the American Cleaning Institute funded and helped shape the scope of the research, but he stood behind the findings, which is which is good. Um, and uh, what you know, this this goes, I think, back to a, a couple of things that uh, that we've talked about in the past um, around sanitizer. But I, I didn't, you know, this um, I didn't know that you had. A, I actually went and looked and downloaded this uh, paper after I saw this note because I didn't know that you had written a review article on uh, antimicrobial soaps. Um, so that was um, it was cool to see that. But I mean, so what? How did this? How did this pop up? How did this? Well, I, I, as as shameless as I am about self promotion, I'm 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 shocked that I did not tell you about this article on antimicrobial soaps that that I had written. So um, yeah, so uh, I guess let's let's sort of take it from the beginning. Um, I had I've been in contact with the the folks from the American Cleaning Institute. Um, they used to be called the Soaps and Detergents Association. Actually, back when I started working for them, um, they pitched me on the idea of doing this kind of analysis quite a few years ago. And I still remember, I don't know um, the way my my brain works. I always, whenever I think about this project, I always think about sitting in Minneapolis, Minnesota on a spring day, sitting outside the Radisson, what used to be the Radisson Hotel there, having a conversation with Fran Kachevsky, who's the uh, executive director of now the, the American Cleaning Institute, and him trying to convince me to do this study and me saying, well, I don't think I have the time, Fran, and I have to charge you guys a lot of money. And eventually, and I don't think I could do it as quickly as you wanted. Um, but eventually he, he convinced me to do it, and it turned out to be a really uh, just a wonderful, wonderful study. So, And I have to also uh, give uh, props to my co-author, Rebecca Montville. Uh, Rebecca is uh, – well, I guess, I mean, she's a, she's a scientist in her own right. She's a graduate of Rutgers University. She's currently working, t- talking about teachers. Uh, she's currently, or she was currently working um, as a teacher in uh, New York City, a school teacher in New York City. She was, I met her, actually, I met her when she was a high school student in New Jersey. She worked for me as an undergrad at Rutgers and published a number of papers. She's one of those undergrads that's just a phenomenal thinker and a phenomenally hard worker and a phenomenal writer. And uh, so she worked for me for many years and and had done this kind of uh, meta-analysis risk assessment type work before. And so in, in trying to think about somebody to collaborate with, because I knew I didn't have time to do all the kind of the grunt work and, 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 and I, I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, somebody to go out and actually read the articles and summarize stuff. Um, uh, I reached out to her and she, uh, she was willing to help me, which was, which was terrific. And, and, and she was, you know, it was nice cause she, we were able to compensate her well for her time. She was that allowed her to make well above her teacher's salary, but it was still saving the, uh, American cleaning Institute some money cause they weren't paying me my my full freight consulting rates for her time so um, so we worked for quite some time we, we extracted all of this data from the literature um, 
and uh, published what I think is quite a nice meta-analysis that shows a number of very interesting points about the effectiveness of antimicrobial soaps. And this has been a topic that's been of interest to me for quite some time, really ever since we started doing uh, hand-washing research back now more more than uh, 10 years ago. So, um, and yeah, so Monica Eng, uh, who's the uh, Chicago Tribune reporter, did talk to me. And actually, uh, I must have talked to her about some other news article before, because I remember when she called me in February to do this interview, um, she actually showed up in my phone as uh, Monica Eng. So obviously I had logged her phone number and her phone number hadn't changed. So, um, and she, I mean, you can tell from the article, you know, she does have a little bit of an agenda. I actually linked to this article on my, my Tumblr. Um, the, if you, the, the, the page, the Chicago Tribune page, um, the, I don't know what the word for it is, but the, 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 the thing that shows up at the top of your browser is triclosan antibacterial soaps called useless comma potentially dangerous okay that's that's what the page says now that's yes. not the headline of the article the headline of the article is a little bit more nuanced it says do soaps with triclosan do more harm than good um and then the the tagline there is critics call on fda and epa to review popular antimicrobial safety in light of new science um and so you know the the people that are uh down on triclosan or maybe it's pronounced triclosan i've heard it pronounced both ways i i call it uh, triclosan but i could be wrong um uh people that are down on it say uh it doesn't work and it may have negative consequences and and i I, I'm not an uh, environmental toxicologist. I'm not an expert on um, uh, uh, hormone disruption, so I don't know about the negatives. But what I can do very well, uh, because it's it's what I do, is is talk about the benefits. And one of the one of the things that I wish I had thought about more more closely when I when I talked to Monica is I'm used to talking to microbiologists, and so when I talk to microbiologists about antibacterial soaps, the short to the point punchline is yes, antimicrobial soaps are not that different than um, uh, non uh, antimicrobial or antibacterial soaps. The difference is about a half a log. And so when I say a half a log difference to a microbiologist, they intuitively know what I mean. Like, and that's kind of like a, so generally speaking, for a difference to be real to a microbiologist, it has to be about on the order of half a log. And so it, yes, it is a, it is a real effect. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. Um, but what I neglected to realize, and now, and part of why I made this little post on my Tumblr site about it, is to kind of cement this in my mind. If you translate a half a log, so if you translate a one log, you know, one log to percentage, it's a 90% reduction. So, um, but because the log scale doesn't, isn't linear, right? It's logarithmic. Um, a half a log is about a 63% difference. So, so that may be a, a, a better way to explain, uh, the effectiveness is that yes, anti antibacterial soaps, uh, reduce the bacterial populations by 63% more than plain soaps. And so that, that may be a kind of a, a, a sensible way to, uh, to explain that. But, um, you know, in, in doing this work, we uncovered a number of very interesting findings. One of which is that there really doesn't seem to be too much of a difference between, uh, again, looking at the entire meta analysis, there doesn't seem to be too much of a difference between gram positives and gram negatives. Um, 
there does seem to be a rather large difference depending upon whether investigators studied hands that were artificially contaminated versus hands that were naturally contaminated. And we think that what's driving that really is the starting concentration on hands. If you look at studying the natural flora on hands before and after hand washing, you're generally starting, because most people don't have a huge number of bacteria on their hands, um, you're generally starting at rather low levels. In laboratory situations, you can load up their hands with uh, with pathogens or with uh, surrogate organisms, and what you find is that if you have large numbers of bacteria on people's hands, hand washing is generally more effective, but also um, antimicrobial soaps are are more effective than bland soaps when compared side to side by side with those high concentrations on hands. And so, you know, like I said, I think the I think the the reporter was probably a little bit more slanted on the uh, the side of these soaps really aren't effective. Um, what uh, uh, what I said was, uh, and she, she used a pretty good quote from me. She says, uh, I said, uh, ex- um, what did I say? The, uh, the benefit was strongest when hands carried higher bacterial loads. Um, examples would be when people's hands were contaminated with, quote, vomit or feces, uh, or uh, they had been handling ground beef or raw chicken. Um, so, so I think that's kind of an important message to get out there, and I'm, I'm glad that we got it out there. Um, I did acknowledge, and, and the, pa- the paper acknowledges, that it was funded by the American Cleaning Institute, um, and I did have regular conference calls with them, but as I, and I had a, I had a conversation conversation with another reporter about this same thing uh, a few months back. What, and it, again, I remember walking through the halls of the, the Chicago airport um, yelling at this reporter, basically, you know, for, for them impugning my reputation that because somehow I t- had taken industry money, I was somehow tainted um, in, in, in my comments. And I, that just that just pisses me off because nobody nobody's going to put words in my mouth. And so, you know, again, to kind of make fun of that um, uh, on my Tumblr page, I said uh, I, I wrote industry. A cleaning industry shill, Don Schaffner said, his 2010 meta-analysis found antimicrobial soaps had a small advantage. So um, I'm not afraid to make to make fun of that, but it just it really does piss me off when people say, "Well, you took industry money, therefore uh, we can't believe you." It's like, well, you know, I, I I'm I'm not going to publish an untruth because somebody paid me money. They're paying me money to for me to do work that I would do anyway. It's just by them funding it, it just makes sure that the work gets done instead of doing something else more fun like podcasting. Right. Well, and which, which they, is extremely lucrative. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the uh, uh, um, you know the the government also pays our salaries, so we're government shills uh, as well. Right. Uh, in in our own right. I, I you know I, I just wanted to point out some one one passage um, that that highlights uh, one passage from the paper that highlights exactly what you're talking about um, here. And and you you and um, and Rebecca Wright, our analysis of the literature showed that initial bacterial levels on hands have a substantial effect on the measured effectiveness of soaps. Experiments that use a high inoculum size greater than six log CFU make it possible to determine the full capacity of soap to reduce bacterial populations on the hands. This also better mimics the microbial load of unwashed hands. And this is the part that, that I think is um, that I took away from it. As in research done by DeWitt, uh, who showed the average microbial load on food workers' hands ranged from um, 5.63 to 7.3 log CFU. Um, this, the, the, the everyone, um, eh, not everyone, what, what I think ha- tends to happen in, um, in, in certain, uh, 
journalistic circles around uh, risk is that they you, know, you try to be uh, as an uh, as a journalist everybody to everything to everyone and um, this idea of hand washing. Um, matters in what situation you're in. I mean, that's the, the that's the, exactly it. And Aiello, uh, I can't remember what his first name is. Um, her, uh, her first name. Sorry, um, is that that's bad. Um, who who points you know points out on um, whether this was relevant to everyday hand washing? Well, it doesn't. I mean, it. it it doesn't matter whether it's relevant to every day hand washing. I mean, that, that that's a different question here. Um, the if if I'm running a food business, I've got food handlers that are handling um, raw chicken, like you might have in a restaurant, um, like you might have in um, in in some other in a butcher uh, shop in a retail store. I want to know that there that I that if I use this. Um, you know, a product that contains, contains triclosan or triclosan that I'm going to do more than if I used a product that didn't. And, and I think that that's the, that's the, the, the key here is, and, and I think you, you, you said that exactly in your quote that, um, that, that it doesn't, there, there are lots of different situations and, and it's not going to work in every situation, uh, better. And in, in, um, everyday hand washing, it's, it's not, but, but in these, these certain food industry situations, contaminated hand situations, if it does do something, then it's, then it's worth using. Um, and so that's, the, you know, that, that's kind of what I took took away from this, right? And and so and and uh, 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 Allison Aiello, uh, Allison is is, uh, is is I guess Doctor Aiello, yes, Doctor Aiello's uh, first name. So, um, but and I didn't couldn't recall her first name either, but I I do know uh, she's a, she's a woman. I've I've never I've never met her. Um, I great deal of respect for her and uh, the co-authors on the, on the, that paper were also Elaine Larson and mm-hmm. Stuart Levy. Again, two well-known names in the in the soap uh, business in the soap uh, soap hand washing research business but and we tried we didn't in in our meta analysis we wanted to be very sure not to be critical of their article um, and so the article that kind of started the whole thing that kind of got the attention of the soap and detergent and now American now called the American Cleaning Institute's attention was their article um, called consumer antibacterial soaps effective or just risky and and uh, although we tried to be very nice in our meta analysis this is a podcast so I'm not going to be as nice so um, uh, <laughs> if, if you thank you uh, if you look at table what they did was they they looked at a number of studies which are described in in table one of their article and they they kind of like they said okay what's the type of study what's the sample size uh what's the um uh, what's the concentration of the 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 triclosan? Because they only looked at triclosan. Um, what was the nature of the soap? Was it bar or liquid? They looked at the outcomes, and then and then they had a, a table uh, a, a column in the table labeled results, where they basically said not statistically significant or was statistically significant, and then they qualified that. So so what they did was they picked. Uh, it looks like about a dozen or so studies and then said which ones were significant statistically and which ones were not. And then because more of the studies were not statistically significant, they concluded that there was no benefit. And that's a perfectly fine thing to do. But honestly, what I did was much better. <laughs> not to be right. too, yeah. too much of an ass about it. We actually went to the papers, extracted the data 
put it all together and then crunched all of the numbers. We didn't just we didn't just count up the papers and say, well, well, nine of and I'm just making this up. Nine papers said no difference. Three papers said difference. Therefore, no difference. No, we looked at all of the data. We looked at more than just triclosan. We looked at other antimicrobials and we tried to. You know, again, this is this is perfectly fine, but it's but it's but it's it's not the same as as really digging into the data and then looking at the those those patterns in the data and trying to make some sense out of them, which is what we did. So anyway, that's um, my rant. No, that's that's good. Do you know um, the the one reference that they have in the in the paper here to a Dewitt um, study from the mid '80s that came out of uh, the Netherlands? Um, looks at, and I've, I pulled it up in front of me, so I'm, I've got, I have an advantage over you here. Um, but in, in here, they, they cite, they looked at, um, different folks in the food industry, and, and this is where the, that contamination came from, or contamination, um, uh, um, uh, average. Uh, they looked at chicken slaughterhouse, cattle slaughterhouse, pig slaughterhouse, eggs, egg product, uh, food workers, fish, dairy plants, deep frozen foods, dried vegetables, a biscuit factory, and a chocolate factory. Do you? I mean, do you know of anything out there that look where anyone has looked at um, uh, food service or or retail contamination of hands to to get a, um, a you know a, a just to you know that that same kind of data. And, and if not, should we do that? Yeah, I, I don't. And in fact, I want to say that that DeWitt study was from 1985. Yeah, um, and yeah. so it's an older study. And, and, and no, I don't, I don't know of anybody that has done a more recent survey. If, they, if, there, if there was such an article, we would have included it in, in the reference list in the meta-analysis. And, I, and I, so I don't think it's out there. And we, I, do, I do occasionally mention that DeWitt study because it is rather unique in terms of, of what they did so. Um, no, I am not. I am not aware of any any such study that that has done that. Um, but yeah, and and certainly, if you were going to do uh, a full blown uh, quantitative risk assessment, you would want to you would want to consider that in terms of how you did things. Um, I. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunately hand washing and cross contamination research is very complicated to try to mm-hmm. suss all that out. Um, but yeah, I think I think it would be worth uh, revisiting that issue. That that uh, and maybe maybe somebody has. I mean, I haven't spent the time to to dig into it. It would be again. I, I published a lot of papers. I don't have. They're not all committed to photographic memory. Just select bits. What? But, um, yeah, what? sorry. Um, but uh, but we. I would probably want to go back and look at the risk assessment on hand washing. We published a number of papers around hand washing. Rebecca and I and, and others. Yuan Chen, who's now at FDA, published a number of papers, and I would want to go back and look at those. But I don't think anything besides that Dewitt article stands out to me as somebody who's really systematically just gone out and surveyed people's hands to try to see what's there. Yeah. Well, and, okay, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's file that away. You bet. Good stuff. Where should we go next? Um, you want to talk about bags? <laughs> I'm already worked up. Let's talk about bags. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bags, bags, bags are killing people. Um, yeah, so if you what, put them over your head. Yeah, well, I don't. So, <laughs> so, so uh, last few days, there's been a whole. Well, last week or so, there's been a whole lot of noise around um, uh, a couple of folks. Uh, a, a guy, um, uh, Click, Crick, uh, from um, 
let me get it. Click. Jonathan Click and Joshua Wright. Uh, oh, not, not not Watson and Crick. No, not Watson and Crick. They are they're done their work, I think. Um, they're, they're, I think they've retired. Um, <laughs> I think, I think one of them might be dead. Too. I think so. It's, it's, <laughs> I was just saying a polite way of retirement. Uh, so Jonathan Click and Joshua Wright, a couple of, uh, law professors, uh, one at, uh, Pennsylvania and the other one at university of Pennsylvania, one at uh, George Mason university wrote a paper, um, that I talked about in barf blog. I seem to have become the reusable bag guy all of a sudden. I don't know why. I just got I got really fired up um a few years ago about a study that uh a study by press release that came out um from the Canadian um plastics industry that said um reusable bags uh are on are on the rise and they shouldn't be and it's a health concern and and that that group went out and um you know, grabbed reusable bags from 20 people in Toronto and then found coliform in, in like six of them and said, well, there you go. There's coliform. There's bacteria floating around in there. So don't use reusable bags. And then, um, Williams and Gerba, and there's someone else on the paper, uh, we'll link to it in show notes, but Chuck Gerba's group, uh, out of Arizona, um, a couple of years, after that, I guess uh, early 2011, put out um, a paper in Food Protection Trends on reusable bags um, and did a, a slightly larger survey, 58 bags in two different cities, and um, uh, sampled uh, them for coliform and uh, E. coli. And I think the numbers were like 51%, so 30 bags. Um, uh, had coliform in them and six bags they found uh, E. coli flowing around in them. That so th- that then led to um, th- these folks, uh, uh, Click and, and Wright, taking the, that data along with coupling up um, hospital room or emergency room data and deaths attributed to gastrointestinal stress. Uh, in um, San Francisco, starting in 2007 to uh, to 2011, and said, "Okay, well, according to to Williams and and colleagues, uh, there, there's E. coli floating around in bags. We're going to see whether more people died um, in San Francisco um, in, in this time period because." In 2007, San Francisco enacted a ban on plastic bags, um, saying that in shopping, you know, in retail, you had to use um, either paper or reusable bags, but no more plastic. And and so anyway, this this paper also published by well, not a little bit by press release, and then by YouTube video back in the summer, and then um, uh, again it sort of popped up as a uh, a research note on the University of Pennsylvania's um, newsletter website. Um, kind of like skew, skewers bags, and I think it's garbage. Um, and so, so I, I wrote about that um, earlier this week on on Barf Blog, and and there's a few things that I think that are problematic about this whole thing. One is um, that that click and attribute um, some sort of correlation of five deaths attributed to gastrointestinal issues, an increase of five deaths per year in San Francisco with bags. Like there's no other possible factors that could have, could have led to this. And, and in fact, a health, um, an individual health, uh, um, uh, someone from the department of health in San Francisco said, look, we've got, we have some gastrointestinal issues that are unique to San Francisco going on that we believe are, um, are, are uh, due to some, some ethnic and cultural situations. And it's got nothing to do with bags, but they, you know, um, 
click and write, say it's the bags, it's the bags that are killing us. That's my my kind of first issue. My second issue, and I've I've talked a lot about this um, on on Barf Blog uh, as well, and I think we discussed it in in a previous podcast around the the Williams study. Um, and it has to do with the indicators that are that are that they used, as well as this idea of transfer. So, sure, um, I, I, it does not surprise me that someone's reusable bag would have coliforms in it. And the biggest reason for that is because in my reusable bags, I put a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, and coliforms are not gonna be there. They're going to be on fresh fruits and vegetables. Are they uh, a good indicator from those fresh fruits and vegetables for pathogens? No, not at all. Um, you know, coliforms are, uh, uh, as a group or, or uh, you know, a group of bacteria that we use as indicators for water quality, that makes sense. But to, to pull um, a coliform out of a bag and say that there's, um, th- this shows that there's a likelihood that there might be pathogens, I mean, that's, uh, it, it oversteps what, um, what that indicator uh, should be used for. And then the second piece that, you know, in, in, in the six bags, out of 56 that, that they, they looked at, that there's uh, E. coli, you know, floating around, not floating around, but in that bag, you know, stuck to the side of that bag. Again, it doesn't really surprise me all that much, but the question becomes, who cares if it's in the bag? I don't eat the bag. Can it get from that bag onto my food? And so what's the, I mean, the, uh, the amount matters. The fact that it's there doesn't doesn't matter as much. And then, what's the matrix to transfer it to the food that I have? And we know that um, you know that that it, in that case, if it does transfer to my food, that it's largely going to be a um, you know it's going to be a surface uh, contaminant. You know, we're not worried about internalization. So I I do have some you know management strategy that I can do um, you know in my home, and it's probably not enough time for that. Uh, that the food sits in the bag that it's going to attach to the um, to it, it, you know if it transfers to, to my green pepper for instance that it's going to attach to that that surface of the green pepper so I I do have a management st- step by rinsing that off um, that that would be uh, effective so I, I just I mean I got kind of fired up on this um, so so much that uh, I got paralyzed about what I would write about and sat on it for four or five days but but I mean this is this bag thing is uh, I mean. It's it's just not got good epidemiology or microbiology behind it, and and it, but it's making a lot of noise out there. Yeah, it's just uh, you know it just it pisses me off uh, when when lawyers publish about food safety stuff and they try to like I mean correlation is not causation, right? I mean, yeah. l- let's let's pick some other random facts. Probably global warming is also causing the rise uh, of of illness in in uh, San Francisco, right? I mean, it's just it's just it's just sloppy scholarship. And I mean, at least at least Chuck Gerba's stuff was qualifies as scholarship. I'm not sure this uh, uh, click and clack paper qualifies as scholarship. Um, uh, it's just it's irritating. Yeah, and we and we talked about this uh, on uh, Food Safety Talk uh, 19 actually, uh, where where we talked about the um, uh, cross contamination uh, and and also the uh, reuse. It was the norovirus outbreak, and uh, Bill, as you noted, Bill Keen confirmed that the norovirus outbreak had nothing to do with the fact that the bag was reusable. Again, hearkening back to the last episode where you know you don't store your food storage containers in the bathroom, right? I mean that's that's the take home message there. And yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right with respect to bags. 
The issue is um, not whether they're reusable or not. The, the issue has to do with, yeah, if they're reusable, you probably should clean them from time to time. But the issue is transfer. And, and, and I had a very humorous uh, exchange. Uh, you were part of, at least part of the exchange with, with our good buddy, uh, uh, Pink Slime uh, guy, Carl Custer. Um, and I, have to, I just have to share this one quote. Um, so in some, in some places, if you don't bring your own reusable bags, you have to buy a bag from the store. And in fact, that's the case in Washington, D.C., um, where I was just earlier in the week. And so I had I went to the CVS to buy some supplies and uh, had to pay for a bag. Um, uh, and Carl, Carl writes in his email message, um, uh, when I go shopping, I drag the bags in when I remember to, but then when I don't, I enjoy asking for a nickel bag. Um, and then he says, sigh, most kids don't get the joke or kindly ignore the geezer's attempt at humor. And uh, I, I just I just got to love Carl. That's uh, hilarious. And will and for those of those people that don't know what a nickel bag is, we will. Uh, I'm sure there's a Wikipedia article on on it. We will link to some appropriate uh, uh, link in in show notes. But but I mean, and Carl actually suggested via email to you and Todd and myself. Uh, both of us have done cross contamination research. This might be a worthy topic for for research. And as I pointed out, and we have some. Some work that we're working on. It's getting closer to publication all the time. Uh, so a collaboration that we did with uh, uh, Michelle Daniluk and uh, her um, uh, her her technician Lori and my graduate student Dane, and looking at cross contamination between fresh vegetables, fresh cut vegetables, and various kitchen surfaces, not bags, but kitchen surfaces. And fundamentally, it comes down to moisture. We've talked about this many times before. If you have moisture present, it will facilitate contamination. So number one, if your reusable bags are wet, you shouldn't use them. You should wash them and dry them. Um, if you put wet things in the bag, then the bacteria are going to go where the moisture is. So uh, if you have a, if you put a, uh, you know, a wet hunk of ground beef in there, yeah, it's going to spread contamination to the bag. And if you throw some fresh vegetables on top of that, it's going to transfer as well. Um, most of the time when we buy vegetables, I would say with probably with the exception of cucumbers, which I will sometimes not put in the bag, generally speaking, I'm putting them in, in a, in a, putting the fresh vegetables in a plastic bag. I'll go into the store with a reusable bag, but the but the fresh vegetables themselves, I'll generally put them in a bag um, just because I think it's more sanitary. And then, of course, when I get home, I'll wash them. And and to your point about coliforms, yes, I, guess what? Food has coliforms in it. They're an indicator. They're an indicator of safety, but coliforms don't make you sick unless they happen to be E. coli, the particular type of which is pathogenic. So it's just anyway, it's just somebody looking for for, for, to, to create a, a story about nothing. And God knows there's enough real food safety problems in the world that we really shouldn't worry about the non-problems, right? Right, exactly. And I, I'm, uh, I, I, you know, I, I follow this bag story because it's going to pop up again. We, we did a, a little bit of work um, last year, uh, I guess uh, 18 months ago now that uh, presented last year at IAFP and I'm working on the manuscript right right now, like physically open uh, in, in my uh, uh, in my queue here um, where 
um, uh, one of my grad students uh, in working with uh, Trevor Fister, who was in the food science department here, uh, did some inoculation of bags to see how long it would last on there and did a little bit of, of work on trying to figure out how to transfer it to the bag um, and not haven't, – haven't got to the point where we're trying to pull it off. But, but basically she was um, uh, sort of able to show that um, if you're um, – if you're you've got three days in between your uh, shopping trips, um, that even if you're inoculating uh, ten to the five uh, onto the bag, that they're going to die out. Uh, this is of uh, of E. coli. Um, uh, 0157H7, it's going to die out. So it's, I mean, that, that taking moisture out. Now it's not going to be the same for salmonella and it's not going to be the same for, um, for other things, but at least in, you know, in this case, just specific to, to E. coli, which is what everyone else has sort of looked at or is, is talking about. I mean, everyone else being the Williams study and then, um, the click and clack guys, um, it's, it doesn't hang along, hang around very, very long. So, so we'll get, um, hopefully get that, that published by the end of this year. But, um, you know, we've got, got a little bit of data on that, but the next thing is, is, as you said, is to, to take this and then do, do some work on, um, whether you can actually transfer it back onto food. And I do, I mean, I, I do kind of worry, and I mentioned this in that email that something like, um, uh, milk, a, a milk jug that you, that you put into a bag that may have a pathogen like something like salmonella um, uh, still uh, viable on the um, uh, on the fabric. That milk uh, on a hot day, the condensation that's involved with it is going to add some moisture into that, and that may uh, be able to to sort of suck it out. And especially if you had some fresh fruits and vegetables in that in that same bag. And I, I mean that's that that part we don't we don't know, but it's not there. There isn't data out there to to sort of say. A, it's killing people in San Francisco, and and B, um, you know these are are cesspools or you know can be very dangerous, which is something that the former American um, Dietetics Association said earlier that, or late, early last year. So yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm well, all over the bags. Yeah, well, and you know, at any place that is in contact with food where there's moisture could be a I don't know, cesspool is not the right word, but could be a breeding ground. I mean, you know, my own personal pet peeve is sponges, you know, and, and there's, there's countless research articles, not countless, but you can, can, you can count them. And in fact, I have, but there's dozens of research articles on sponges. You want to find a dirty place in a house, go to the sponge, especially if that sponge is sitting in the sink and it's wet. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but anytime you have a, a surface uh, or if you have an environment where there's nutrients and there's water. Well, we, we did a study back in the mid 1990s where we looked at um, uh, we didn't intend to do this study, but we collected data as part of our uh, inspection of, of university dining halls. And what we discovered was we, we, we so we, we went around and we sampled surfaces and we looked at whether the surface was clean and dry, whether there was visible food present, whether there was visible moisture present, or whether there was food and moisture present, like on cutting boards and things like that. And guess what? You can guess the punchline. If there's moisture present, you're going to have a higher, on average, a higher bacterial concentration. If there's food present, the bacterial concentration is a little bit elevated as if it's dried food. And guess what? If you have uh, food, dried food with moisture, or so then it's not dry food anymore, guess what? Those surfaces are going to be the most contaminated. 
appreciated. And the same thing applies to sponges. The same thing applies to plastic bags. The same thing applies to food on the floor. Uh, the same thing, I'm sure, applies in the Missa Bay plant with listeria, right? I mean, the water, the dip water, that's, that's water. There's food debris there because of the apple slices. Um, there might be some preservatives, but guess what? You're putting a constant microbial load from dumping apples in there. I mean, it's not... Um, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just good common sense microbiology. And so anytime you have an environment like that, if you have a sponge, you need to put those in the dishwasher or you need to microwave them. Dean Cliver's done some, some research, did some research on microwaving sponges. You can also just throw them in the dishwasher. It's probably a good idea for people to wash their reusable bags, especially, especially if they look dirty, but even if they don't look dirty, hell wash them. You know, I mean, the, the big problem that we have in my house right now is we have so many of these darn bags that's like there's way more than we can use so they ride around in the car and i'm glad to go to a conference and get a reusable bag instead of a a, one of those moronic uh shoulder bags which i don't use for anything anymore um and probably i get enough at conferences every year i could throw out half the bags that i have and and still be very flush in the bag department (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, we yeah we have the exact same situation bags everywhere except um when i need one it's, it's never in the well. Spot. Well, when I'm in the store, is usually I have I've gotten pretty I've gotten pretty good. Like we usually have like a like about a dozen in the trunk and then one in the back seat. So there's odds are that I will see the one in the back seat and take it in with me when I go into the grocery store. But even 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 that uh, sometimes I, I will I will just you know be you know I'll be killing I'll kill the planet because I'll get some plastic bags. But but then I recycle the plastic bags so I don't feel right. quite so bad. But anyway, <laughs> excellent. Um, cool. There's, uh, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about before we moved on. Um, but I don't know what it is. So if you've got something else you want to jump in with, go for it. Yeah. I was just trying to to jot down, uh, uh, humorous thoughts about show titles whenever, uh, whenever somebody says something humorous. Um, (laughs) you know, um, I, I, I know what mine was. Go for it. So it was um, – before we, we got away, I wanted to say that um, we – and this was in the show notes last time, but I can't – I don't think we talked about it. But we're – my department's hiring a local food specialist, um, and uh, this is kind of an interesting uh, position, I think, because it's uh, – it we didn't talk about this, did we, Don? Do you remember? Uh, no, it's been in show notes, yeah. and but it has not come up. So absolutely, yeah. let's go for it. Okay, good. Yeah. So, um, so we've got a, a position, a fifty percent extension, fifty percent research position for um, a tenure track uh, 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 person to um, look at local food systems and their impact, and it's um, that impact's pretty like. W- how we've kind of advertised this is it could be, um, you know, nutrition, obesity, food security, food safety, uh, communities, e- economics, I mean, whatever. But but the idea is that the, uh, an individual would come in and, and work on this this area because it's it's something that I mean, we uh, uh, there there's such hype around the idea of local foods, but there isn't a whole lot of data on what it means. And uh, so it's kind of it's kind of neat. I mean, I'm I, I, I'm. 
not uh I, i'm a absolutely a supporter of the local foods movement from a from a personal standpoint and and work a lot with with small um, businesses and, and consumers who are trying to sort of promote this, but the the question always comes up: Well, what does it mean? I mean, that just just like you know everything that that I always focus on. Where, where's the data that this matters? You know, someone always wants to talk about whether it's safer or less safe or whatever. We just, I mean, there just isn't any data on it. But so um, our department was able to convince the um, the the university powers that be, um, and I don't think it took a whole lot of convincing that that we would be a good place to start. You know, this this our our department would be a good place for someone to, to start looking at these and, and creating extension um, these questions start in creating extension uh, uh, materials and, and documents uh, that are evidence based around local food. So it's kind of it, it's an exciting position on, on on that. So I just wanted to to put that out there. Yeah, and and we should definitely link to the position announcement in in the show notes. And I you know I think. Uh, the local foods movement is probably where the organic foods movement was 15 years ago. And I think the u- universities were generally slow to get on board with the organic foods movement. And, and you know, for better or worse, I think there were a lot of entrenched old school conventional ag people that said, you know, that organic food, that's hippie stuff. I think once people started to realize, well, whatever your political beliefs about organic foods, it is a way, and local foods is the same thing, it is a way to encourage farms in your state. And if you're New Jersey, a state that is rapidly ceding its farmland to houses, and you don't think that's necessarily a good thing because of your political beliefs or because of your history in agriculture, and maybe you grew up on a farm, maybe you just like the idea of a pretty farm, you know, that looks pretty, that as long as you don't have to smell the, <laughs> the actual the actual cow poop or, or horse poop or what have you, I mean, that's a whole separate discussion right there. But but if you believe that that it's a good thing to have farms in your state, you ought to look for ways to have farms in your state. And one of the ways to do that is with organic agriculture because uh, it, it you can charge a premium price. There's a direct connection with the consumer. Same thing with local foods, right? I mean, whatever your beliefs about the local foods movement, if you think that that's a good thing that encourages community um, – we as universities ought to get on board with that. And, if the, and, and, you know, the whole idea of bringing in ag economists to look at, you know, what's the economic benefit of local foods or the economic downside? What are the economics of the local food movement? What is the definition? So there's there, – again, it's, it's the kind of multifaceted position that can bring together a lot of experts within a, uh, within a university to, to talk about it. And they, so they could work with you on food safety issues. They could work with the economists on – economic issues, um, uh, what have you. I mean, there, there's just a whole, they could work obviously with, uh, with the f- farmers and, and, you know, the, the, the horticultural side on those issues. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it, it's a very, uh, it's a, it's it, props to North Carolina state for getting ahead of the problem and saying, look, we're going to put a person in place to study this, w- you know, independent of what your belief is about it. Right? right. We ought to have a person looking at this from a scholarly perspective. Yeah, and we yeah exactly. We we need to be able to to show um, data and and uh, get beyond sort of anecdote and back of the envelope to be able to say yeah this this matters this doesn't matter and and I you know um, 
ethical uh, organic production conventional local food systems these aren't this isn't something that that becomes dated you know 10 15 years from now because there's always going to be local food economies um it's you know it's absolutely hot right now but it's always been there so it's this this is a a way to sort of address those um that that community setting and and try to um, figure out how to come up with with good materials uh, to um, that that can be used. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's exciting. I'm I'm happy that we're that we're going in this direction. Well, but you say that there will always be local food economies. I, I'm not sure that's the case, right? I mean, there there may not be. Uh, so we, I think we that's something that we need to think about as a as a society very carefully. You know, do we really want to be in a position where we don't produce food in this country anymore? And, you know, there, so, I mean, and, and there's lots of innovative stuff that you can do. There was a, um, uh, I've been, again, talking about our favorite uh, podcast. I've been listening to Dan Benjamin's uh, Quit podcast. And one of the guests that he had on was a woman who was quitting her, her job to start a business um, with a business partner, and I think they're based in Houston, where they're going to grow food on the tops of buildings in Houston. I mean, wow. what a cool idea! Now, you know, again, you know the, you know, and I know as a hippie, you're you're all in favor of that. The Absolutely. All, <laughs> but but you know, it's an interesting idea. I wonder if it's a if it's a if it could be a profitable business. But you know, I mean, I mean, not to not again, not to sound like a not to sound like too much of a hippie, but but fresh foods generally taste better than than foods that are not fresh and and if we could get fresh foods more of the year i mean i you know i would like to do my part to help uh new jersey's economy i know we do not all of our shopping, but a lot of our shopping at Wegmans. And I know uh, Wegmans, when they can, they always try to source from local farmers when it's in season. And, I, and again, I think that's – you don't have to be a, a left-leaning – you know, communist hippie to think that's a good idea. Just the, the fact that we're going to try to benefit the farmers that live in the area, I think that just makes good sense. Whatever your whatever your political beliefs or your your uh, orientation in that direction. Totally, I'm with you. Amen. <laughs> Amen, brother. Uh, well, hey, we're I, you know, have you noticed we're like stretching out our our shows a little bit? We get on. Get on rants. I don't know if that's a it's a good thing because as as Merlin says, you know we should we should talk less and talk more. So I think we're talking more, but uh, we're at we're an hour and twenty five minutes, and and it's uh, it's good. I'm I'm enjoying our our conversation. So we you know we used to look up at an hour and be like, oh okay, I guess we're done. But uh, with the last three or four shows, we've gone quite a bit longer. Well, and what I I've, I've noticed the same thing, and then we do the after dark, and then of course that makes it even longer still. And the thing is that you know uh, it's like I always worry that like, oh, we're never going to have enough to talk about. But if you look at the, the, and I don't, I mean, I read everything that comes out of Barf blog. I read a lot of what Marler puts out on his blogs. I read Barry Bites now. Um, and I just, I don't, click on everything, but then once I'll click on something and I'll say, you know, that's interesting. I think we have something to say about that. And I'll put it into the, the, the text file to think about talking about. And, and we never get to all of it, right? No. E yeah. Even with a longer show, we never get to all of it. So I, I think that we're never going to run out of things to talk about. Um, which is potentially a good thing or a bad thing. But I think that also I've come to the realization that if, if I put it in the things list of things to talk about for this week and we don't talk about it, then it's probably going to scroll off the bottom of the list. And so we might as well, if I really feel like I want to talk about it, we better talk about it. So Yes, I agree. I agree. We're, <laughs> we've got stuff in there. We never go back because there's always something exciting and new, which is, which is good. 
Absolutely. Cool. Well, hey, this is uh, this has been a slice. I'm trying Absolutely. to get all my cliches in today. It's been, <laughs> it's been a it's been a slice. I don't even know if that's a cliche. I guess it's just a colloquialism. Um, and uh, the, uh, so, uh, good stuff. Let's uh, let's continue this conversation next time, Don. Sounds good, man. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. I'm gonna try to like a uh, that throwaway phase. Let's say that every time. Let's continue this t- this chat next time, Don. <laughs> oh, you're trying to develop a catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we need to go now. <laughs> cool. Um, good. Okay. So, do you have like two minutes to tell me what I need to do with folding text? Oh yeah, absolutely. So should I make it so a text oh. file? Like op- is uh, I open them default with folding text instead well, it, of it's up it's up to you. I don't want I don't want to tell you how to tell me how you do it. Well, how okay, so so folding text uses Markdown, right? And Markdown is a thing invented by John Gruber. Believe it or not, um, the, of daring fireball fame, yeah. and and Markdown essentially Markdown, and we'll we'll link to this in the show notes for the for the Uber Uber nerds that care about this stuff. Um, this is the after dark, so I can type and talk. Um, and daring fireball, we'll link to that. So so basically, Markdown is a way to write for the web. So essentially, it's like writing HTML. But it's like an easy way to write write HTML where you don't have to worry about writing, um, uh, um, you know, with all the the t- HTML tags. Okay, so yeah, you. I mean, again, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but 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 if we uh, we need to, the, this text file has gotten out of control, and I think <laughs> we need to we need to find a way to manage it. So so the the, the I guess the the most the key thing to learn for <laughs> for folding text is. Um, the, uh, the Octothorpe, um, or the pound sign. Um, I like calling it an Octothorpe. Octothorpe. I didn't, I thought that was a seventies funk band. It could be that too. (laughs) Um, uh, that's a great band name. Called it. (laughs) Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's also the number sign or the pound sign on the phone, but I, I like to call it Octothorpe. Um, 
Let's see. Apparently, it was named uh, after the Jim. Uh, the, uh, I'm looking Jim at the Thorpe? Wikipedia. Jim Thorpe and and Octo Eight, which is the eight uh, the eight legs of the thing. Anyway, that's anyway. It's also called Splat. 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 It's a pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's called Splat as well. I think is it also called Splat? Someone calls I think it. Splat. You somebody call calls it Splat. Splat. I think I think I'm reading. Maybe I'm making. Maybe I'm I'm hallucinating things that aren't really there. Okay. Um, all right, so the octothorpe. So anything that's that has uh, a, that's preceded by a single octothorpe is what they call an H1 header, right? Gotcha. Uh, two octothorpes is an H2 header, and then three octothorpes is an H3 header. And so if you within folding text, if you click on the single octothorpe, it'll 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 assume that that's like a, a, everything below that until the next. Thing, single octothorpe is part of that section, okay. right? So, if, for example, if you click on FST uh, 34 notes, you'll see that whole section will collapse. This has got to be fascinating for people that are listening to the After Dark. Um, <laughs> you click on that, everything that under the FST, FST 3 notes disappears, and then there's the, there's the, the little wow. ellipsis character. So now Alice, we've hidden all that. You patterns. see? Yeah. So yes. and, and now you can see that there's a place for old notes, right? Yeah. You can okay. click on that, and you see there's very old notes. You click on that, and you see possible future guests. That's good. So now, and we could we could do the same thing with Microsoft Word, right? If we made an outline in Microsoft Word, we could do the very this the same thing. But um, it's cool. Yeah. So, and then as long as you as long as you practice good kind of convention. So, for example, under old notes, uh, you can see that each of those has two octothorpes. You can again, you can hide those articles. So, so now you just need to be sure. Um, when you uh, when you put stuff in, just put it in the in the right in the right place. Now, what I what I think we should do probably is just get rid of the old notes and the very old notes because I don't think we're going to talk yeah. about that stuff. No, I agree. We're, um, we're done. Right. So and then okay. So then if you look at with if you expand the the top level, the FST thirty four notes, you can see that there's one called follow up. When we need to talk about the, the uh, I'll, I'll make that an action item to take care of the Amazon S three tracking. Um, uh, and then, and then underneath that is for discussion in FST 34. If you hide that, then you see that's, that's the end of what we had. Um, and then the other thing that would be really nice is if you wanted to, so each of the things under the two octothorpe for discussion in FST 34, each of those is a, is a third level header. So you could theoretically go through and hide all of those, all the text. okay? And then we could say, okay, well, okay, so what do we want to look at? Well, we have a choice of Apple Slices, Extension, Evaluation, Pruno, Byte Score, yeah. Australian LM, Bags, or Cooking, cooking. for Shrimp. Yeah. And, and that just lets you look at, okay, so Ben, what do you want to talk about? We got a list of, you don't have to scroll. You can kind of see Good. everything. And then what, and what I've been doing is just adding in the dates that I added something in kind of like a date order. Now we could also do a reverse date order, but anyway, so that, so there, but that, but that's the, and as yeah. long as we kind of follow that, um, it works. So we, um, just for our convention, should we also yeah. add in that, um, header for the topics added and then just in parentheses, whether it was Ben or Don, I think that would be really helpful because okay. I can sometimes not remember whether yeah. I added it or you added it. So yeah. I think that would be a great idea to add okay, let's, that. Let's do that too. Yeah, this is good. Okay. Um, cool. Oh man. Even the, 
it even looks much nicer. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then you can see, like, uh, if you look at the folding text link, uh, again, that uses a markdown style uh, linking there. So you can see that the URL is hidden. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's – and, I, you know, markdown is, is, so, is so cool. And if, if all I did was write for the web, um, I think I would use it all the time. You could, we could actually do show notes. But, again, I haven't wanted to tell Andreas how, how to do show notes or to inflict my enthusiasm for markdown on on anybody m- more than just myself um well and me, and me now and well yeah well but but you're you're you're, you're opting in so yeah. um but you know and anyway so but unfortunately we're we're wedded to a world that lives in uh microsoft word and so for better or worse we're we're, we're stuck with that but anyway this is an opportunity where we don't have to use it and it's it's pretty cool so yeah so so i think definitely adding uh yeah oh i see oh you did you did you add, you add, you put my name in? I did. I was, Look at that. I'm just, uh, see, I'm I'm doing things in real time here. Yeah, that's very cool. I you know yeah. the only thing I ha- you have to worry a little bit about working from Dropbox is uh, is just uh, like stomping on the other person's edits. But yeah, but but, but it seems to it seems to ah, that's really weird. Like my name just suddenly appeared when you added it. I that's awesome. uh, that's really that's freaky. <laughs> I'm controlling your computer. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, oh God, there's another one. I know. I just added another. One. There you go. You made it. You made a typo. I'll fix that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. Uh, yeah. This is okay. This is cool. Um, let's let's do this. Okay. Good. Um, all right. And I I think I can adhere to this. Uh, cool. The convention, since it's only just knowing how many Octothorps I need to put in. Does it bold it for you as well? Uh. uh yes. Uh, well, no. It knows. Uh, it knows that. Um, those octothorps mean a heading and mean that, a heading and that's going to be bolded. Right. Bold. And then you can, you can also like, if you, I linked, I linked to, I linked to the, uh, daring fireball, uh, for, for show notes, I linked to the daring fireball page on, um, uh, on markdown. So you can go ahead and read, read that markdown page and okay. that'll tell you like a whole lot about how mark. And then there's also something called multi markdown where somebody's taken what Gruber developed, but, but yeah, but so the, basically there's just a few, I don't see in the in the Gruber's page he doesn't have oh syntax page yeah so here's the we'll link to the syntax page as well um, the syntax page for for Markdown uh, basically you can make tables which I haven't really worried about um, yeah uh, line anyway the, the yeah go ahead and read the you can go ahead and read the read, read the read more about it. Um, Cool. You can make numbered lists. You can make uh, ordered lists. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool. So okay. anyway, um, and then I, there's probably help the help file for it probably is uh, yeah for folding text. Or, well, this was, must be yeah. fascinating, absolutely fascinating for people listening. Um, <laughs> that's why it's after dark dawn. <laughs> that's right. It's only for the diehards. It's our, our, our yeah. If you, oh, you know what? If the, you, if you open the the folding text users guide, it's yep. actually in in Markdown. In so if you open the users guide, it, it gives you all. See how to do? It. Yeah. Okay, good, good. And yeah, it's, that's that's just, oh so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Just just look at the users the folding text users guide. That's the best. So all right. Make that uh, okay. Cool. Good. I will. Uh, I've now made folding text as my default uh, uh, text editor. Ooh. That's brave. I haven't done that yet. I should do that. Yeah. Well, just because I'm not, I probably won't. I mean, the only time I use um, 
whatever uh the only time i use text edits with uh with podcast stuff so. oh okay cool. Um, cool good um hey i don't i don't think i mentioned this in the last uh um after dark but i uh-huh. changed i don't know if you saw this but i changed the garage band workflow a little bit mm-hmm. okay so, i saw that okay yeah just because um and so i don't know if i ever told you my trick but it's in here now on how i get the um uh fst logo to artwork like it takes an extra step in itunes okay um so once you export the um the mp3 like export the GarageBand file to mp3 mm-hmm. i then copy it into um itunes to do all the meta tag stuff mm-hmm. oh you know what i don't think i do that yeah i <clears throat> and i just i don't even know how i found like I, it was it happened way back when when i couldn't figure out how to get the image in and i you know tooled around on the internet and someone said this is how you have to do it Hmm. um so anyway it tells you how to do it so you then import into itunes do the meta tags and then um add the fst logo into artwork and then export um or convert file to mp3 uh again from itunes oh okay so what's so so what's happened to all of the episodes where i didn't do that are they not right yeah, they don't have the. I, well, what happened was I I did them because you because usually you were um, quicker than I was, mm-hmm. so I just took your file and did it. Um, and oh, then, okay. Yeah, so I just fixed it. I okay, thanks. Quietly fixed it. Thank um, you. And then, but there was one or two times where I didn't like. I think I fixed or I was quicker than you were, and then I was like, oh, I never told Don how I was fixing those. So mm-hmm. anyway, I did that last time. I did it. I uploaded it, uh, or I updated this. Okay. Uh, yeah, I noticed that, and I meant uh, yeah. So, all right. Uh, okay. Yeah, and you need to tell if there's meta tagging stuff that needs to be done. If you can add that, like exactly yeah, I, what you're meta tagging. Well, and, and I think it was. It, I did. Oh, sure. I see. Yeah, Composer. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Boot safety talk in the album, and then yeah, Schaffner and Chapman and artist and composer and food safety talk podcast and album. Okay. Um, the. Uh, Oh, only thing. Let me see. I may have to add this in. I had at one point I changed my settings in iTunes mm. to like to set how it was going to export as a um, MP3, so it didn't expand the size of it um, of, of the file. Mm. But I think it is. Um, I think it's the the default setting in the new iTunes 11. Okay. So yeah, I'll check. I'll check that. Okay. Because it's not a yeah. But yeah, everything. That's how to how to do it now. It's it's so funny. Since we're looking at this workflow, I have to share this with you. So I was talking with uh, Chuck Haas, who's a risk yeah. uh, risk guy at Drexel, and I was mentioning the podcast, and he's he's listening listen to the podcast. So I I uh, I said, oh, it's really easy. Um, let me share our workflow with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't remember. I can look. It's an email. I can look it up. But his 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 response was something like. That's really complicated. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's not that complicated. No, it's not so bad. Um, uh, cool. All right. Excellent. Did you – have you up, – um, you're probably way ahead of me on this, but did mm. you up, update your uh, um, operating system to Mountain Lion? Oh, yeah. Long time ago? Long time ago. So what I love is that I didn't have before was the notification center mm-hmm. and um, and – iMessage, or message, mm-hmm. but iMessage directly on my computer. It's mm-hmm. changed my life. Mm. Uh, I, did, I wasn't doing that before. I well, was I don't. Messages. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't have messages on my computer, and actually, I didn't. I only had it on my phone because I heard people complaining about it, and I really only wanted to have it kind of on in one place on my phone. Um, but when I upgraded to iOS one point, uh, sorry, iOS six point one. Um, on my phone and my iPad. Now my iPad has messages, oh, yeah. which is okay. Um, and I always knew it was possible because people were talking about it. And then before Michelle got her herself a new phone, like a like a modern century phone, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, uh, she I would get I would text her. And then, and then she would sometimes reply by iMessage, uh, like from her iPad. But, but I don't, I don't have messages turned on on my computer, and I'm not sure that I want that because uh, I, I, wa- I wanted it. Yeah, I guess the it, it's it's fine as long as it also shows up on my phone because I, there's often when I'm away from my computer and I don't want to have to get back to my phone because I use text Years. messages. Okay, I use text it, messages as if it's really important, text me. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It mirrors. It's okay. As soon as in, I mean, even the, as you send it on your computer, it shows up and sent on your iPad and iPhone. Hmm, cool. Um, yeah. So I kind of like, uh, yeah, I, I just did this last week and I was like, Oh, this is, this is good. Um, cause it's only, I mean, it's still the, you know, there, there's only a select few that I, that I use iMessage with. And so, but now I don't have to reach and, and leave my keyboard. I can just do it here on my keyboard. Hmm. Someone sends me a message. Hmm. So I like, I like it. And it shows up in the notification center. Okay. So you can turn that on and off. So, yeah. It's- oh, um, oh, um, huh. So, yeah, notification center is that uh, that weird uh, dots and lines thing yeah. over. Okay. Yeah, I see. I've got a lot of stuff here. Um, I never look at this. I never look at this. I don't see, see a... any. I don't see any text messages or or, or message well, messages. I probably don't have, have it turned on though, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got to turn it. You have to associate it with your um, Apple ID and your cell phone number, and then oh, okay, turn it on, and then sh- and then you can turn it off or on for notifications. Now let's see messages. Um. Huh. This yeah, this must be fascinating for people. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I have message. I, I'm looking at notifications in in system preferences. And it says show in 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 there, but um, but yeah, you'll have to turn you'll have to turn messages on, like in like you'll have or not like you'll have to activate messages with your Apple ID, the actual messages how do, app. How do I on the on the on the Mac? Yes. So it should. Be, oh, yeah. I see. Okay, I never <laughs> did this. I guess I, I guess I should go ahead and do it. It's I, it, and you can always turn it off. That's true. Cool. Well, oh, and this one, so I did, um, I'll do show notes for 30, 34. Oh, and I'm doing the audio. And you do audio, if that's cool with you. Sure. Let me just write that down. Um, show notes 34 equals Ben. Audio 34. It's just almost as fun as listening to me type. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Good deal. Cool. Um, well, this is good. I don't have anything All else right. to talk about. <laughs> <Have fun. laughs> I have plenty to talk about, but we should probably go.
Yeah, I'm, yeah, we should we should go. I'm done. I'm done with you now. I'm... <laughs> I, huh? I, I, you're 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 sounding intimidating and less yeah, well, blonde. I'm, I'm must, the red hair in my beard is starting to. Creep out. I am. I am. I am so. I am so loving the newsroom. So thank you for sharing yeah. with this with me. So it's it's fascinating. Sorry, one more thing. It's fascinating oh, yeah. that the first the first season was in the '90s, and I just yes. noticed on IMDb the next season didn't come out till like like Before. almost ten years later, yeah. right? Yeah, yep. and it, and it's uh, except for George and Jim, it's a whole new um, supporting huh. cast. Oh, really? And, yeah, and actually, it's it's really it's kind of crazy. So I've given you The Office, but that character George also appears in two other um, different series that Ken Finkelman, who he, George he, he George is Ken, in, yeah, and yeah, yeah that George George is played by Ken Finkelman, right? Yeah, 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 and he and he wrote and directs all of it. Um, and he, and I think he's a crazy person and that's exactly why I like this, um, <laughs> but he, he does. So it kind of resurfaced again in 2011, uh, that character in a, a show on a different network, um, called, um, uh, good dog, which was about, can you know, I mean, it's always about George, but he, and then it was that he was, um, you know, uh, he wrote the newsroom and now he's a writer and he's trying to like pitch, uh, he's trying to pitch, uh, something like curb your enthusiasm to Larry David. <laughs> and, like, it's, it's, just, it, it's, it's very, as the kids say, it's very meta. The whole thing mm-hmm, is very meta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that then spun off into another show called good God, which is okay. George back in a newsroom, but running, um, a news channel like Fox News in Canada, oh. which, which, yeah. which also just so that just finished like last last fall, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and Samantha B from The Daily Show oh, is yeah. in uh, in that um, oh. as a the, sort of the the morning uh, host of oh. Fox News Canada. Oh, it's God. it's really good. So that oh. those watching those, and I just kind of stumbled across them. Got me much, you know, got me back into back into um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm all about the 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 Ken Finkelman. It's it's there there have really been two, um, yeah, two series like comedy series that I've watched over the newsroom and all the, those episodes. I've I've watched them three or four times, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, uh, Arrested Development. But other than that, I'm like a one you know one and done. I watch yeah. it. I don't want to. I don't spend a whole lot of time on right. it. Right. Um, again, but that the, there's something about Ken Finkelman that uh, that I'm, uh, I'm I'm somewhat obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm glad to shed it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. shed to you. Absolutely. Thank you. Cool. Um, so yeah, let me know when you need season two and three because I'll upload those. Okay. Yeah. Let me. Um, I'm making. I'm making pretty good progress. So and now that I've mainly f- I figured out how to watch it on my uh, iPad, I can watch the whole episode from Dropbox. Well, I can. I can favorite yeah. it in Dropbox anyway. The whole big thing. But anyway. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you. You're welcome. All right. Cool. Uh, All right. I'll I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care, Ben. Bye bye. Bye.